I want to give a shout out to Aventus, the world's leader in trade surveillance for digital assets. Trusted by Coinbase, Gemini, OSL, and many others, Aventus is also helping scores of other firms enter the crypto market. For digital asset trade surveillance, think Aventus. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today's episode is very special. We're kind of kicking off. It's not a, it's not a series in an official capacity, but you know we're going to have a, a slew of episodes pertaining to the breakneck growth of the market for NFTs, digital art, collectibles, the list goes on. Today, we have the head of growth at Block Party, Franklin Fitch, joining us to unpack a lot of the things he's noticing in the space. Franklin, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Really excited to talk with you today. Yeah, you know, so basically, I've been doing my own, we were talking about it before we turned the mics on, I've been doing my own journey into the NFT space, and I've been very curious about it, and I stumbled upon a spaces I think a week ago or so, I was in my garage. That's what I do at night, folks. I listen to spaces in my garage. <laughs> and I was in one about NFTs. And I was just like asking questions. You know, my job a lot of the times is to ask folks questions. And, you know, Franklin just did a really great job answering a lot of the questions that I had about NFTs. And so, and your voice is very um, mellifluous as well. So I thought it'd be great for a podcast. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's start with your bio. So folks, you know, who, who may not be familiar with what you're doing and with Block Party, tell us a little bit about what all that is, who you are, and how you got into the space. Yeah. So I've been working full-time in the crypto space for about five years now, maybe a little bit less, but going on five years and, you know, found NFTs through an opportunity to join Block Party, which is kind of a premier NFT marketplace and has a unique approach to NFTs via the storefront concept. So kind of launch your own storefront on Block Party, run your own storefront, be able to accept fiat currency and crypto for payments, be able to mint to multiple blockchains. So not just Ethereum, but Flow blockchain as well, which is what NBA Top Shot runs on. Mm. So, you know, kind of advising Block Party on strategic growth. And then, you know, lately sort of spreading my wings a little bit as well and working with you know other projects in the space who have interesting things going on. So I think where I'm kind of positioned now in the industry is trying to be as immersed in it as I possibly can, trying to find all the interesting opportunities that there are and you know be able to advise projects that uh, maybe need a little bit of advice on how to grow or maybe just spreading the good things that I find to the community. So I would say that's kind of the mix of um, currently what I do in the NFT space. 
I think for many folks listening, they might view, I get made fun of for saying Cambrian explosion a lot on the show, but I think it's fair to use that term. This Cambrian explosion of different collectibles from the penguins to the COVID punks, it seems like it came out of nowhere. And in many respects, a lot of this activity did come out of nowhere. I mean, if you look at the charts showing volumes for some of these NFT platforms, you know, it's it's almost like a straight line up. What kicked it off, in your opinion? I don't know how many people will recall this um, last year, but there was a period last year, and I would say it was probably August or September of last year that it really started to pick up. I was getting into it kind of early June. And, um, you know, there was a period where Ari Paul had posted a bullish thesis. And then you also had um, Pomp post a thesis. And then you also had Cobain talking about it within like a week span. And it felt like that, if I'm looking back, was like the real jump off point. That was the point where it started to really like get mindshare within the broader crypto world. Prior to that, it was still this strong nucleus and there was really interesting things happening. There was multiple different marketplaces. You know, there were really great pieces of art that were being made, but that felt like the jumping off point. Then there was this rapid uptake of like major global creators who started to get onboarded to the NFT space. And we're talking about people with 100,000, 500,000, a million, 5 million, 10 million followers, you know, on, on social platforms. And so when these creators came on, it massively accelerated that growth. So it was kind of simultaneously, the broader crypto world took notice because certain thought leaders were talking about it. And then at the same time, the entire creative community said, hold on, we need to get in on this. And there's still a little bit of division amongst the creative community, but enough top creators came in and said, you know, we're going to get in on this. We want our networks to get in on this as well. And I think that was where the massive sort of Cambrian explosion to use your phrase, happened. Yeah, so like things like, I mean, we had it recently reported that Tom Brady is doing an NFT around his autograph, basically. Is the sort of like athletic and celebrity NFT trends connected to some of the art that we're seeing kind of take off? Are they all interconnected and do they need each other to kind of like survive or? I think they're distinct enough, but they're certainly interconnected. I mean, there was a lot of things happening at the same time, you know, like Patrick Mahomes did a really successful drop, you know, Gronkowski did a drop and, you know, Gronkowski is friends with Justin Blau, mm. right? And that's kind of, I think how Gronkowski got into the industry. Justin Blau is a DJ. Justin Blau works with Slime Sunday, the visual artist. So Justin Blau is one of the first movers in the NFT space. He did a drop on Block Party very early. He went on to do a very successful album drop as an NFT, which kind of pushed the paradigm forward. And it's no coincidence that Gronkowski was in one of his music videos in their buddies. And so are there connections there? 100%. Is there certainly overlap and interesting timing playing out there? 100%. But they are kind of distinct, right? I mean, I don't think that they're so intertwined that one couldn't exist without the other, if that makes sense. But at the same time, you have to realize those athletes and when, whenever they want to put out NFTs, they're typically going to need a visual artist to collaborate with. So there's still kind of that, that collaboration that's needed. I've seen that go really well. I've seen that go really poorly. You know, I think at the end of the day, to what degree are you actually collaborating with the artist is really, really critical because this whole movement is about sort of honoring and empowering artists. 
And I think if you're just trying to contract out for some really low quality work, just to be able to drop an NFT because you have a big name, the industry will now reject you, right? Mm. Like it is sensitive enough that they'll be like, nope, we don't want it. And that's kind of like a key component when folks are identifying value in a given collectible or piece of art. That's something that people have identified in some of the conversations I've had this week, this aspect of who's behind it. Is the person a contributing member of the community? Is the person likable? It seems like one of the big pillars of what, you know, if you want to call them investors or traders or art collectors, really, um, Mm -hmm. when they're looking to buy an NFT, this is one of the key things. Yeah, 100% is. I mean, one of the things that I've said for a long time is I was really surprised. So I've been a lifelong art appreciator. I don't, it's kind of a corny term, but you know, since I was young, my family was taking me to museums and that's kind of what we did. You know, we would go camping, we would go to the beach, we would go to museums. That was our vacations, right? You know, so I've loved museums and I, and I've loved art for quite a long time and really religiously would go to museums. And I was amazed when I found NFTs by the degree to which the early patrons were real art patrons. Mm. Like they actually demonstrated genuine, benevolent patronage. And there's no particular explanation for that. I can't really identify still to this day why that happened. Um, But you looked at these, you know, ETH whales who actually demonstrated real patronage for the community. It wasn't just a flip on some art for them. It was like they really supported the artists. They really helped them build their voice. They really invested them continually and worked with them to develop their, their name and their craft. And then, you know, you, you look at a related point to Mm. what you were saying about authenticity and how you're accepted by the community. Well, there's an example of the Lindsay Lohan NFT, which got purchased by a major whale and burned. They actually, they bought it and destroyed it because they thought it was disingenuous and wasn't reflective of what should be out there in the community. So it is to an extent where they're so self-policing now, and I'm sure you know of that kind of tendency in crypto to be self-policing. Um, the NFT space has adopted that as well and will sort of cast out things that are inauthentic. I think the way to properly do it, uh, if you want to get into the NFT space and have success with monetizing here, you need to be involved with the community. You, you know, you need to go into Discord, you need to go into Telegram, you need to be in the D- DMs with people, you know, you need to form those connections. I think a lot of my people who have become my good friends, like Jay and Silva, you know, Dave Krugman, who are large Instagram creators, I say Instagram creators because that's kind of how they built their names by Instagram following, but really talented creators, Ravi Vora, they came in and they understood that implicitly. And they said, we're going to go out here and connect with people. And that's the difference between having sustained success and authentic connection versus just trying to come in and do a cash grab because you're a celebrity. Yeah. Authenticity seems like it's just as important as scarcity and whether the thing looks good or not in terms of like the aesthetic value of it, almost because you can kind of measure authenticity in a way that you can't measure what something looks like or or sort of the aesthetic value, because that's kind of more subjective than, all right, has this person checked off these boxes? Although liking someone is not necessarily super objective, but let's go through some of these other aspects of what people look for. We kind of went through authenticity, the, the creator behind the piece being integral to the value identification process, we'll call it that. Then there's scarcity. That's somewhat self-explanatory. You know, you typically want something that there isn't a million of 
But the one thing that I find super fascinating, and I'd be curious to know how you think about this, is is memeability or mm. um, mean economics. Or mm. I find the idea of like meme quality or the memeability of a piece. I feel like that's up there in the level of importance. Yeah, it may be, you know, the most important, right? Um, it's certainly top three, right? I think it has to do with relatability, right? It has to do with how much cultural capital is kind of contained within that thing. It has to do with how far can this idea go? You know, you look at what memetics or, or memes means uh, originally, it's like the essence of something, right? And my favorite quote has always been, from Shakespeare, brevity is the soul of wit, mm. right? So like the least words that you can use to say something is the best way you can say it. And I think memetics are basically that, but in abstract forms. So could be an image, could be some text and an image could just be some text. You know, obviously memes have gotten to be really sort of diverse in their, in their forms. But I think mm. the, the ability or the degree to which something can be packaged like that and be relatable to people forms people's, you know, sort of attraction to it. And a lot of those in-group draws that make people want to get into this click, right? And then I think the related point there would be social signaling. To what degree can I signal some status or some in-group membership by my possession of that NFT? I think that that gets extended even further when we look at things like Bored Apes, right? So I saw a video, uh, it was Base Jackers, who's major EDM group, doing a show and I think it was in Vegas and on the screen massive you know probably 100 foot screen in the background of their show was Bored Apes doing a bunch of random stuff you know it was the actual Bored Apes animated doing things kind of hanging out at a party and it was like you realize how powerful that is right when you you start to connect physical events digital signaling memes and collectibles all into one and I think you you create I think this really super powered sort of wave of commodification of culture and commodification of status and commodification of membership. Mm. Um, and also combine that with all the crypto native benefits of, you know, global payment rails, easy ability to transact and send peer to peer. So it becomes really liquid and moves quickly, right? And I think that's why we've seen that to use your term Cambrian explosion is because you have all these really sticky, strong qualities of NFTs for signaling and being part of the the digital social world, you combine that with the physical world. And now you also add all these other accelerants to it, right? Which are just the fact that crypto and digital stuff moves quick. And, uh, you know, crypto stuff is especially powered by dedicated payment rails. So it's able to uptake a lot of money really quickly and move really fast. Do you think, I definitely want to talk about the commodification. Some people have described it as the financialization of culture or of your social capital. And there are tons of interesting things to unpack there. Just being able to have your dollars or your stocks or your assets engage with things that have not been easily transactable. You know, the number of followers you have on Twitter, you know, maybe some supreme beanie that you have. We're not there yet, but that's the future everybody sort of envisions. But before we get there, I want to kind of think about how brands, because I know this is your background. You you did a lot of different consulting work. I think you worked, you did some ad consulting for Mattel. 
And there's all this energy. I'm sure companies are looking at like the amount of money being spent on these penguins and whatever have you, thinking, how can I untap that? But it's probably not as easy as running down the list we just went through and replicating it as a brand. But if you were on the consulting side of the table, which I guess you you technically are, but if you were back at Mattel or something like that, how do you think these companies can effectively execute on an NFT strategy? Yeah, I think just to relate to um, the world I came from was, was very much consulting. I was a market research consultant uh, specifically for you know, digital and social. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Mattel and many, many other kind of Fortune 500 brands were the clients of my past life. And um, yeah, what I would say to them is, I think you need to create experiences and you need to create worlds and you need to create connection and you need to create culture. And those need to be your guiding lights. That needs to be what you focus on, right? The fact that you're creating an asset is almost secondary or tertiary to those things. The first questions you ask yourself should be, what does culture and connection and new worlds mean for us? What value does that provide our constituents? So if it's Mattel, it's a toy company, right? What worlds could we create, you know, that would embody our culture, that would embody the culture of our constituents? And what would it look like to bring those things to life? Because you have to remember, all these NFTs are part of this broader metaverse concept, mm. right? They are connected to this new digital world. And by new digital world, I mean, they can live on OpenSea, you know, in your NFT wallet, or they could literally exist inside of a virtual world. You know what I mean? You know, if you've never been in Decentraland, or you've never been in Sandbox, or you've never been in Crypto Voxels, and you're listening to this, go check it out. And I think you'll understand the gravity of this, right? Like this, we're literally talking about entirely new, new worlds, new verses. And, you know, the peer-to-peer -peer connection, I think, between these assets, right, forms a global network, and it's really exciting. So I think realistically, that would be where brands should start, because brands have power, brands have money, brands have the, the resources to be able to actually take a full play. And what they're going to risk if they don't go fully into it, it's coming off as cheap, coming off as inauthentic, coming off as all those things that we know the community doesn't. Who do you think has done a good job coming from the outside there are plenty of crypto people have been able to pull this off, come off as authentic because they're kind of born out of it. But have you seen anyone come in from the outside and successfully pull something off in this space? Or maybe we're not quite there yet. I don't know if we're quite there yet. I think that we're starting to see some things. You know, there's some things that I know that I can't say mm -hmm. that are being worked on. And I think we will see some really exciting things. I think, you know, there have been um, franchises that have kind of been represented authentically that form kind of cool collectibles, but I, I don't know if anyone's kind of figured it out fully. I don't know if anyone's kind of reached fruition with that concept. And so I'm excited for the next six months because I think we're going to finally start to see, uh, actually, I take that back. I think one brand that I could specifically point out would be Atari, mm. right? So Atari has really embraced the metaverse. They've really embraced crypto culture. You know, they have an entire Atari arcade, you know, in Decentraland. Mm. Um, already, right? So you can literally go play in an arcade in Decentraland. That's crazy cool. They've done drops on Block Party. They've done drops on other platforms. You know, they have a token, right? So they're creating like an ecosystem. I think that's the way that, you know, brands should think about it. Like how can we create a metaverse ecosystem that kind of ropes people in to our branded experience and provides them incentives to do things that we want them to do? 
and also connects our culture to the culture of crypto. It can also help reinvent brands to an extent. I mean, if you look at Atari as an example, making them more relevant than they've been in 20 some odd years. That's correct. I mean, I think Atari owns a ton of IP, uh, maybe more than most people would know, but I think the brand itself maybe doesn't have as much relevance as it could or should up until it starts to get into this this world, you know? And it, it, like you said, it's really an opportunity for a reinvention or a rediscovery. I wanna give another shout out to Aventus. Aventus is the world's leading platform for digital asset trade surveillance, market risk, and transaction monitoring with some of the largest crypto exchanges and institutions in the world using Aventus to drive efficiencies in their regulatory operations and mitigate the risks of fines and reputational damage. Visit AventusSystems.com today to find out why 80% of the firms who take a custom demo become clients. Shine a light on your trading today with Aventus. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. Let's go back to sort of this idea of financialization of culture. How would you kind of pitch that to folks or outline exactly what that means? And then we can get into the importance. Yeah, well, I I would start with kind of what we've been discussing. Identify what culture is. And you start to understand that culture is intrinsic and culture is the means by which people connect to commodities, connect to services, connect to experiences, right? It is the medium through which all that is flowing. And when you understand that and you understand how memes are culture, and we all know the power of memes in the, the current meta, then I think you would say inevitably this is like a trillion dollar opportunity. You know, this is, a, this is unprecedented. And, and I think when people first started saying NFTs were like the internet in, its, in their significance as a piece of technology, I kind of didn't really agree with that. And the more I've gotten into them, the more I agree with it. I think it's, it's like a new layer, you know, and, and I think there are just amazing opportunities being born every day in this space to um, be a, an early mover in a new layer of technology on the internet. You know, that new layer of technology is now we have ways to codify, financialize, commodify, you know, artifacts of culture. Um, and we have ways to, you know, communicate them peer to peer, socially signal with them, unlock experiences with them. Like I was giving you that example on that mm-hmm. space is Frank of, my buddy had built space in Decentraland mm-hmm. and owning a certain NFT actually literally opened a door that was hidden that would not otherwise open. I mean, that is just mind blowing. 
And you start to think about all the implications of that and all the other ways that that might look so that I could literally unlock a VIP experience in real life with an NFT. I could unlock a VIP private room in a metaverse with an NFT. It can go so far. So I think that identifying what culture is for a brand or an entity, what does that look like for you? What are you trying to represent? And then boiling down to what does the asset look like? The first consideration should not be what asset am I going to sell? The first consideration should be what does culture look like for me or my brand? What am I trying to communicate? And then get down to what does that look like in terms of a product? I find the the ability for it to cross the chasm between the analog world and the metaverse to be interesting, right? You can sort of exchange value betwixt the twain in a way. Mm -hmm. How do you think about that? You know, this idea of being able to leverage something you have in the metaverse to get access in the real world. What are some other examples of that? I don't even know what another example of that would be. It's kind of creating a brand new kind of a thing. You know? Yeah. I think Sobi, who I, I love following on Twitter for NFT content, I think his handle is Sobi, S-Z-N. He's talked about this phrase that I love. NFTs are like a Patek Philippe and a VIP pass all in one. Yeah. And, you know, it's we were talking about signaling on that spaces the other day where if I'm at the club and I'm wearing a Patek Philippe, you know, maybe the bouncer is going to let me in. But now imagine that that extends, that kind of concept extends literally in the form of actual direct access, mm. not whether the bouncer knows about Patek Philippe or not, you know, extend that concept into the digital space. I can't really think of a similar analogy, but it's, it, you know, it's membership to a club. It's that asset value. It's the flex of it. And we haven't even talked about the other financialization and sort of um, products that are being built around leveraging that value. But it, I can't think of any analogy. I really don't think that one exists. You can, So there's two elements of being able to leverage that value. There's the actual transactional element. You can't easily sort of trade in and out of your Patek Philippe's or your Yeezy's or whatever That's have right. you that... You can with an NFT, it's, there's a bit more liquidity there, but there's also sort of non-transactional value, this flex aspect or clout aspect. How, how important is that to the success of the space? With the watch example, I guess there's some functionality and that it tells you the time and it looks good, but the value far exceeds the utility which is really what's gotten me interested in NFTs because you can't really like value it based on the utility, but you can build utilities into these things that are more than a watch. Yeah. I guess you can get a digital watch and, you know, like an Apple watch will you know, do your heart rate and whatever. But, but that's the thing about NFTs is you can, you can sort of program them to do all these different things. So it's not just something that looks nice and you can hang on your wall or your digital showcase you can make it do all these things. So it's kind of like, it's a flex, just like the old flexes, but with all these different attributes. Yeah, I think you're right to split it out into those two different kinds of things. You have on the one hand, it's social value. And then you have on the other hand, it's literal value and how that's leveraged. And so in both regards, NFTs are more effective than their physical counterparts, right? And we can talk about why. So in the social regard, it's a more versatile kind of a flex because it's digitally native. 
it's more functional of a social sort of key into experiences because it's blockchain native and it can actually be a literal key, you know, and there's plenty of technologies being built now to scan NFTs for entrance to an event, right? There's um, what we talked about, that example of Decentraland, where the NFT literally unlocks a private room. There's, there's all different kinds of things that I think make NFTs in the near future categorically better social signals and social keys. And then on the other hand, we have the financialization. Now, you know, I collect Supreme and I collect other kind of streetwear and stuff like that um, because I just like collecting stuff. And if I want to go resell my Supreme, it's quite a process. You know, <laughs> I would have to kind of package it. I have to obviously clean it. I'd have to package it. I'd probably have to send it to a verification service like a StockX. They are going to take their fee. And then, you know, it's just this whole process. Selling an NFT is two clicks of a button, mm. right? And so the actual liquidity and sale of it is greater and I think intrinsically greater than physical goods because, again, you think about selling a Patek Philippe watch. Quite the involved process. You know, you're going to have to go to a, a, an expert to have it assessed, you know, and finding a buyer for something that's $150,000 in the real world is a lot harder than an NFTs. <laughs> and I'm saying that from firsthand experience, you know, it's, it's pretty crazy, the degree to which money is being circulated in this NFT economy amongst a small number of participants. I think it's because clearly, it's easier to do. It's easier to have that liquidity, it's easier to have that peer to peer price discovery. And then, you know, speaking of the other aspects that are really fascinating, now I can take my NFT and I can collateralize it, I could actually take loans against it right? I can fractionalize it. And that's an exciting thing that fractional art and other platforms have been kind of doing is take that NFT and break it down into a bunch of pieces. And now those pieces can be collected by other people and owned, you know, as part of the greater whole. You know, there's, there's so many different things that you can do on the financial product side of NFTs that, again, imagine doing that with a physical good. There's really no infrastructure for it. Or if there is, it's very, very limited. Um, and only in a few examples. So I think that makes NFTs kind of if we're comparing both sides of the spectrum, that social, you know, signaling and key status, and that financialization, both in terms of like immediate liquidity, and ability to create new products with my asset, superior to physical goods, but they're not a replacement for physical goods, because physical goods are never going to go away. But they are certainly at, you know, just from a sort of interest in the asset quality and asset value quality, I think greater. Now, when we think about this aspect of liquidity and being able to kind of extract value out of this digital good quickly, is that only going to last while the music is playing? You know, what happens when, you know, I made a joke about the Fed tapering and, and that impacting asset prices, but what, what happens if, you know, we get into a risk off environment? Does that impact NFTs? And then this ability to kind of flip very easily and come in and out of these things very easily. Yeah, I mean, it, it does, of course, right? Liquidity is always, you know, driven by the number of market participants and sort of how well the value is, I guess you should say, like, divided up. Is the value spread out, right? Or is it too concentrated, which there's been an issue, I think, classically in NFTs with value being a little bit too concentrated in too few hands. The data on that's pretty abundant. So, but I think that makes me more bullish than anything because right now there's not that many market participants and there's a ton of volume. And I think if we, if we see an uptrend, which we have in number of unique wallets trading NFTs and 
new market participants coming in because, you know, now Gary Vee is talking about it. Now Tom Brady's talking about it. Now Coca-Cola is releasing it, right? There's all, there's all this new appeal and new people talking about crypto technology that kind of weren't before. You know, when, when you see that stuff, that means new participants come in. That still makes me optimistic for the fact that we're in probably the mid stage of like this really big shift. in. Are they just going to be the greater fool? So I don't, you know, the greater fool thing is relevant, of course, right? Like you should always be aware of that. But I think that that's the same thing that is, you know, it is in markets, right? In liquid markets, there's always a greater fool. You know, it doesn't matter which game that you're playing. I think the the thing that makes me excited is um, we're still at a small pool of total participants. And I think as that pool grows, it's not like they're going to just get back in on the same things that other people have been in on. There's going to be new projects. There's going to be new worlds. There's going to be new things to experience that may be greater than things that came before. And so I, I don't know if it's like they're just going to fall right into a greater fool game. Um, I don't think that they necessarily will because they'll be enticed by things that maybe aren't the same things that we're enticed by. But I think that it makes me excited for how money can kind of continue to circulate in a healthy way in this ecosystem. Obviously, you know, if we enter like a categorically bear market for assets in, in the entire world, it would negatively mm. impact NFTs. And I think you'd see a lot of liquidity dry up. Um, but right now, I'm still, I'm still optimistic on the midterm for NFTs. I really think that like through the beginning of next year, it's going to be at minimum extremely exciting and there's going to be a lot of new money flowing in and you know you might see the number of nft participants triple or 5x in you know a, a six to eight month time period how though will they sort of get over the impediments of how clunky some of these platforms can be i mean i think i did mine through zora um mm. this isn't a endorsement but you know as i was doing it i was thinking of all the you know pros and cons foundation you really need to get like whitelisted on so that's an impediment to do the nft mm -hmm. uh, i think zora was a bit easier for creators but really difficult for folks purchasing so there's all these different ux ui drawbacks so that's obviously an impediment oh it is for sure i mean i one of the things that block party's been working on since early days is user experience and it's like finally getting there but it takes a lot of work because you know, there's all that backend infrastructure of blockchain that has to be kind of smoothed out in a pretty front end and sort of UX design has to be really tinkered with a lot. I mean, you know, but if you're looking at the market in general, look at OpenSea, who just raised $100 million. Yeah. You know, $100 million buys you a lot of UX designers. And um, they're, I think they're slowly starting to improve, you know, on how it looks and feels. There is a lot of power and potency in that platform. And uh, it's just got to kind of be smoothed out. But I, I'm still pretty optimistic. You know, somebody tweeted the other day, and I think it's a great summary of it. You have bad UX and not that many users, and it's still changing paradigms. So it kind of makes me say, wow, well, what happens when we have a lot better UX and a lot more users? <laughs> you know, it feels like there's still a bunch of upside because there's these two areas that are just not that great and are getting better. You know, and there's evidence of them getting better. And I, and I do see it on kind of a, a week to week basis. This flew by. I know. I'm so happy you came on the show. Um, we'll have to have you on again soon. Franklin Fitch, head of growth at Block Party. Where can our listeners learn more about you and, and what you're working on? Yeah. So uh, follow me on Twitter if you would be so kind. My handle's at Fitch, F I T C H, inverse. Uh, just the word inverse. 
So you can follow me there. Block Party is at Block Party, all one word. And then kind of my favorite project that I've been working on lately is Parallel, as many mm-hmm. of you know. I post probably like 10 times a day about it, so sorry about that. <laughs> um, but that's at Parallel NFT. So really cool stuff going on there. I think that's probably the most exciting thing I've ever seen uh, developing in the NFT space. So those would be my three, uh, three places. Franklin, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you, Frank. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be with you with a exciting guest for the next episode of The Scoop. Thanks for tuning in.